So I have some good news for you today. If you're keeping track, I have some good news for you today because it is now less than six months until we have Christmas. No kidding. Less than six now. We've passed the halfway mark. So we might as well pull a page out of Walmart's playbook and talk about Christmas in summertime. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of Luke, the Christmas story, chapter 2. And while you're finding Luke, chapter 2, let me just set the story up, because the shepherds have just returned to their little flocks on the hillsides outside of Bethlehem. They have followed the angel Gabriel's advice. They have wide-eyed raced to that little barnyard, and in that manger, they fell to their knees and worshiped. The little tiny wrapped in swaddling cloths baby as their new Messiah King. Speaking of new leadership, that was it. That's all they can talk about. Desire of Ages says it was the brightest scene ever witnessed by human eyes. And that's all they're talking about that night as they head back to the hills. Now, that's the story. Then the very next verse, verse 21, the little eight-day-old Jesus is circumcised. Now our story begins in verse 22. So we're in Luke chapter 2. And let's go to verse 22. Got it. And when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, the little Christ child, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And, verse 24, they also went to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Speaking about birds, there they are again. Part five, Gone to the Birds, Lessons from the Divine Ornithologist. All this month of June, we've been finding the birds, and these are the last birds, two little pigeons. What's up with that? Well, let's go to the law, actually, that uh, they are carefully following. Go back to Leviticus. When's the last time you were in Leviticus? Nobody goes to Leviticus anymore. But let's go back to Leviticus chapter 12. Do you mind? Just turn back a few pages to the beginning of your Bible, Leviticus chapter 12, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 12. Let's take a look at this. Here's why they went to the temple. This is verse 6 in Leviticus 12. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, speaking of the mother who's just given birth, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. Now drop down to verse 8. But... If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her, and she will be clean. Now, Joseph and Mary are obviously among the poorer class in Palestine. There is no way they have money for a lamb. And so they scrape a few coins together to buy two little pigeons, and that's it. And according to the law, they present the two pigeons on behalf of Mother Mary. Roy Gain is absolutely right. When he observes that the sacrifice was a poignant reminder. See, what's happening here? These two pigeons that will be sacrificed, a poignant reminder that every human life begins under a cloud of mortality. A baby is born and two creatures die. Could be a lamb, could be two pigeons. A baby is born two creatures die. It's the shadow the entire human race now lives under. Mortality. Right?
But by the way, it's not just the purification rites. Two pigeons. Two pigeons are for two sinners. One sinner, two pigeons. Turn a few pages back to chapter 5. Isn't this something? Chapter 5, verse 7. Leviticus 5, verse 7. Anyone who cannot afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Now, there's a verse that precedes that that I want you to catch. It's verse 5. When anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, they must confess in what way they have sinned. And as a penalty for the sin they have committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for them. Or if they're dirt poor, it'll be two pigeons. Two little creatures for sin. The priest takes them. They're sacrificed. And with the, with the, with the confession of your sin, taking you, now your offering to the priest who will make atonement for you and your, your sin, the story is you'll be cleansed. You'll be washed. You'll be purified. You will be pardoned. You will now, watch this, you will now be at one. That's why they call it making atonement. You will now be at one with God. What's going on here? You don't need a degree in theology to figure out that this ancient liturgical practice has Calvary and the Savior written all over it, doesn't it? But isn't it amazing that what we just read begins with confession? I mean, why, why should we confess? I mean, God already knows. Ah, good question. Because confession, what's that old adage? Confession is good for the, it's good for the soul. Anytime a human being confesses his or her wrong to another human being or to Almighty God Himself. Anytime you make the act of confession, you know how well I know it is an admission of failure. It's an admission of defective behavior. It's an admission. I did wrong. I sinned, and I'm sorry. We're ashamed to admit it. It's embarrassing. I'm sorry for what I did. Will you forgive me? I had to do it just the other day, on a Sabbath, right here, in this, in this sanctuary, during worship. I had to sit down beside one of our sound uh, techs, and I had to whisper to him. It was a little embarrassing for me. I had to whisper to him. You know, I'm sorry for that remark I made when we were having crew call earlier this morning. He just smiled and waved it out. Don't worry about it. But I had to. It was my conscience. My conscience said, you've got to do something about this. Make it right. Yeah, you're right. It is embarrassing. But I also knew that the very act of confessing is an act of vulnerability that actually strengthens the life of the one willing to become vulnerable. You see, confession is good for the soul. Let me tell you about uh, Brene Brown. She's the one that spoke those two TED Talks. You know TED Talks, of course. She spoke those mega-million-viewer-watched Two TED Talks. 43-plus million people have watched her little 20-minute presentation. I watched it coming back from Japan in the United Lounge waiting to catch my plane. I said, I'm going to watch that again, Brene Brown. And I started taking notes on my yellow pad. Very interesting. She observes people who are willing to become vulnerable are people who have the courage to be imperfect and admit it. And confess it. 
And as she says, there are people who have learned to live wholeheartedly, who discover that what made them vulnerable makes them beautiful. Now, this is one of the crazy realities of life. Do you know what? And she made this point again and again, and I've got to share it with you. you. Do you know what people are drawn to? They're not drawn to your strengths. People are always drawn to your weaknesses. It's true. Why is that? Because you're weak like me. And suddenly I can identify with you. That's why we love Peter, and that's why we love David, because of their weaknesses. We're just drawn to them. They're not China doll saints. She's making a point. Confession is good for the soul. Turns out it's very good for the soul. That's why this line is inserted before the two pigeons. This is verse 5 again. When anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, they must confess in what they have sinned. Just, just confess it. Roy Gain in his uh, commentary, it's a wonderful commentary, the NIV commentary, an application commentary on the book of Leviticus. He, he quotes this one-liner from Max Lucado. I love this. This is about as good as it gets with, with confession. Let's put Max Lucado on the screen. Lucado writing, confession is telling God you did the thing he saw you do. You know, it's, it's as if we think, well, if I say this to God, he's going to find out something. Are you kidding? He already knows. You have no reason to hold back. Tell God anything you wish. He already knows it all. And as, as Lucado goes on, he, God, doesn't need to hear it as much as you and I need to say it. Confession is good for the soul. Roy Gain scribbles this line down. I'll put it on, this, on the screen for you. Very insightful here. A state of denial. I have nothing, I have nothing to confess with this, this whole sad incident. I have nothing to say. A state of denial expiates, resolves, erases nothing. I know friends who were once friends who are no longer friends because neither one will apologize to the other. I can't believe it, but it's true. They will not apologize to the other. And they are now, there's just this wall between them. And I'm thinking, just one of you, if you would break down and say, I was wrong. Confession. It's your weakness that people are, are drawn to, not your strength anyway. Admit you're weak. A state of denial expiates nothing. Keep reading Roy. The fig leaves of cover-up, like the first one that was attempted by Adam and Eve, yield nothing but scratchy discomfort. That's good. The catharsis of confession is good for the soul, the only avenue to peace with God and healing of cognitive dissonance. You know what cognitive dissonance is? There's something inside of you that's saying, it's not right. There's just something that's not fitting here. There's something not right between me and my spouse. There's something not right between me and my children. There's something not right between me and that colleague. There's something not right between me and my students. It's, it's cognitive dissonance is your conscience that is creating this uncomfortable, miserable feeling. And the conscience is creating it because it's saying, resolve it. Go to that person and say, I'm sorry. Of course, it's embarrassing. But you got to do it. Cognitive dissonance. If you do not solve that, do you know what you're living with? If you do not solve that, you're living with dis-ease. No ease. And it is a spiritual disease for a conscience to be blinking, resolve this please, resolve this please, and no resolution takes place. It's a disease. That's why the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, put it on the screen, please. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. 
Why? Solomon admonishes, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Wow. In two little pigeons, we got a full-blown soteriology taking place in front of our eyes right now. Amazing. But you're absolutely right. So much was embedded into the shadows of that ancient liturgical system. Two pigeons, one Savior, Calvary. That's it. Two pigeons, one Savior, Calvary. And whenever I say the word Calvary, I think of my mother. You know why? Because she had a beautiful voice. And she used to sing this song. She used to sing this song in public there in Japan as a kid growing up. Calvary conquered my heart. Calvary conquered my heart. I went to the YouTube. I said, is there anybody out there that has recorded that song, Calvary Conquered My Heart? And I found out there's some singing group. I had never heard of them. They're called the White Sisters. And there were a women's trio, sisters, and they sang that song. And as only a woman's trio sings, and if any of you ever get inspired again to form a woman's trio, what a blessing to to, to the world. There's nothing like a woman's trio. Calvary conquered my heart. Calvary conquered my heart. When I gazed on that tree, I saw Christ Jesus dying for me. Yes, Calvary conquered my heart. It's just a little, it's just, it's just a, a small line. But that's Calvary. And it's because of Calvary that this passage we read with, with Michael a moment ago is so true put it on the screen. Let's read this. Let's read the opening line. Everybody knows 1 John 1, 9. Now let me read the verses that follow it, but let's put it on the screen. Let's read that out loud together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's a, it's a two-step gift. God says, I'm not only going to forgive you, it's gone. I will purify your very life. I will purify your mind. I will purify your heart. I'll purify your relationship. That wall is gone. I've forgiven it. I make you pure now. I mean, does it get any better than that? John goes on. If we claim we've not sinned, hey, that's not my fault, it's his. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole wide world. He is the two pigeons for you and me. Two pigeons. One forgiveness, two pigeons, one cleansing to the depths of your soul, two pigeons, one Savior for you and me. And we can declare to the universe because of those two pigeons and that one Savior, we can say, hey, universe, Calvary conquered my heart. Calvary's conquered my heart. Because I, at Calvary, through the Lord Jesus Christ, receive God's forgiveness. I receive my cleansing. And out of that vulnerability of having to confess my need of that cleansing, by the grace of Him, I become beautiful in His sight. And that's what matters the most anyway. I want to pray with you. Oh, God, 
Two pigeons, one Savior. And oh my, do we need that Savior today? There's nobody here saying, I don't need a Savior. I haven't sinned. We've all sinned. We've sinned this morning. But we come because this is a place for sinners to come. Crumply, crumply sinners that we are. We don't look our best to you right now. But oh God, in the shadow of the cross, we cry out to you forgive me. I have sinned. Cleanse me. I have sinned. Wash me. Thank you for giving this moment. Thank you for giving us the towel and the bread and the cup. Wash us. We humbly pray together. In Jesus' name, amen.